Welcome to the Sunday evening service at Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia, where Pastor Lauren Regeer opens God's Word each week to provide us with biblically-based teaching that helps you meet life head-on. Thank you for joining us, and may your hearts be blessed as God's Word is taught. And now, here is Pastor Lauren Regeer. Amen. Thank you, Craig, for that reminder of our heavenly home. I know many of you ladies, if not all of you, have invested a lot in your earthly home and making it as pretty as possible. And uh, what a great thing it is to think about the communion. Really, it's not how pretty our homes here are. It's about the communion we share. And uh, I, I love the snapshot that we have in Revelation chapter 20 and 21 of heaven. God gave us a taste there of heaven. But uh, I think what's going to be wonderful about heaven is the Lord's there, that all of those that we know are saints will be gathered around that throne and we will enjoy the glorious fellowship called heaven. If you have a Bible tonight, trust you do, let's go to Exodus chapter 4. Exodus chapter 4. On Sunday nights we've been going through a study for just a little while now as we examine biblical friendships. And before we enjoy the memorial before us, I just thought we'd spend a, a few minutes in the Word and... Enjoy one of the great rescues of the Bible, uh, how Aaron helped his brother Moses. Let's call this biblical friendship tonight the ministry of completion. Last time we talked about how the Lord spoke to his disciples, the greatest friend ever, a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And the Lord told his disciples, no longer do I call you servants, I call you friends. For everything the Father has declared unto me, I show to you, I declare to you. And that was the principle of transparency. True friends open their hearts to each other, and tonight, the uh, biblical truth of the ministry of completion. I'm going to do one of these um, who am I stories, and I, I don't want you to raise your hand or blurt it out, but as I go through this little story about a true friend in history, I want you to think about the principle of what a friend brings to the life of another. Uh, Mark Twain called me, we'll call this who am I? You'll guess it pretty quickly. Mark Twain called me the miracle worker. Others called me Miss Spitfire. And uh, whatever you could say about me, I was a true friend. When I was born, my given name was Joanna Mansfield Sullivan. My mother soon contracted tuberculosis. My father was a drunk. He often abused me and my brother, then left us, abandoned us. Mother died when I was very young. Of course, Daddy left the home. So by the time I was eight, I was basically orphaned. My brother Jamie or Jimmy and I were taken into a local alms house out of an orphanage where my brother passed away shortly, where, of course, again, I suffered abuses at the hands of my foster guardians. I was, by all counts, of little worth to society. When I was only five, I contracted trachoma, tra- excuse me, trachoma, and slowly lost most of my vision. So as I progressed in age, I was sent to Perkins School for the Blind in Boston, where I excelled as a student, and where over, over time my eyes were greatly assisted by a number of operations which partly restored my vision. After my time in Boston, and because of my own sight challenges, I was recommended by, of all people, Alexander Graham Bell to become a tutor to a young girl in Tuscumba, or Tuscumbia, Alabama. The girl's name was Helen Keller. She was not only blind, but deaf and mute as well. When I arrived in the Keller's home, I found a child who, though sight handicapped, 
was also spoiled and incorrigible. But I discovered a method by which I could spell out words in her hand, the palm of her hand. And for 13 years, I became the best friend Helen Keller ever had. Even beyond that, I did go with her to college. And what an honor to help her in every class and to dorm with her throughout her college days. And Helen was the first uh, blind and deaf person ever to graduate from college. And I was a big part of that because I became Helen's shadow. The reason Helen Keller was able to achieve such a great honor is because in class I sat beside her and spelled every word into the palm of her hand. I was her ears. I was her sight and her voice, her advocate. When I died at the age of 70 in 1936, I was buried in the Washington National Cemetery. And Later, Helen Keller would be buried by my side. I was more than Helen's eyes and voice and ears. I was her very best friend, her lifeline. Of course, you know me by the name of... Thank you, I heard. <laughs> Anne Sullivan, because of her constant and long assistance to Helen Keller, she was able to become Helen's lifeline to communicating to a world that otherwise would have just been unknown to her. Anne Sullivan was a great friend. Last time we met, I just uh, asked you if you had at least one good friend in your life, and most of you raised your hand. That's good. I'm glad you have at least one, but do you have a friend that would really give themselves and their resource and time like Ann Sullivan did for Helen, Helen Keller? Well, the story we look at tonight for just a few minutes is found in Exodus chapter 3 and 4. And for most of you, it doesn't need a lot of recounting. Moses, after 40 years in the palace growing up there in Egypt as a young man was adopted by the the princess there, Pharaoh of Egypt, was well-trained in classical learning. But after he uh, attacked an uh, Egyptian official and killed him, he became a wanted man. His murder of the Egyptian caused his life to be shadowed by fear. He was a wanted man, I'm sure. If there were post offices in Egypt, his picture was in every one of those. Caused his life to be one of of really departure from society and hiding away, a long way away from Egypt. He wanted to erase his past. He is even afraid of being discovered by his own family. He's left everything behind. And this is where we find him in Exodus chapters 3 and 4. He's kind of content to be lost to the world. But, but God in heaven had not lost sight of Moses. I love the dad who had who wanted to wake up his sleepy, kind of what he thought was a lazy teenage boy in the morning. <laughs> kind of had a son that just didn't want to, wasn't very motivated, didn't have much initiative, and so he woke the boy up. Get up, son. When Lincoln was your age, do you know what he was doing? <laughs> no, said the sleepy-eyed son, but I know what he was doing when he was your age, Dad. <laughs> Sometimes we think folks that are kind of uh, ne'er-do-wells will never amount to anything. And Moses, by this time, was kind of erased from the pages of Scripture. He was kind of, a, a, a kind of deported from, from Egypt and hanging out in the shadows and 
really was content to be a shepherd for the rest of his days, not expecting really to have God come knocking on his door. True friends are truly those who come into our lives and have compassion on on our weaknesses. And so if we can condense the story of, of Moses just a little bit tonight, most of you know his story. Again, after 40 years of the palace, he is now 40 years hiding in the desert of Midian, so he's nearing 80 years of age. He's married and pretty content. He's fit for being a shepherd, after all. He's kind of calm in nature. He's meek, shy, and withdrawn by personality. In Exodus chapter 3, the Bible places Moses on the backside of the desert. Perfect place for a guy that's kind of a lonely man. Just wanting the world to go by. I won't ask you to raise your hand if you're kind of one of those people that are kind of a loner. Don't need anybody, thank you very much. I'm to myself, not very relational. Last week or a couple weeks ago, I put myself in that category by nature. I'm okay to live on the backside of the 40 acres or wherever and just, you know, just give me a a hunting dog and a rifle and a fishing pole. I need that too. And I'll be okay. Thank you very much. As long as I'm close to Walmart and Chick-fil-A, I'll be okay. Moses was kind of that way. And it's while he's shepherding. His nature, of course, is just to be kind of quiet, reserved. And here he is tending his flock on the backside of the mountain there later we know, of course, we know it as Mount Sinai or the Mount of Moses where the law would be given. And just a few months after this occurrence or this encounter with Jesus Christ or the Lord through the burning bush. But there he is, 80 years old. And so he turns aside, as I've already mentioned, to see what seems to be an unnatural sight. There's a bush that's burning on his trail as he's shepherding his flock, and it's not being consumed by the fire. This grabs his curiosity. He's pulled in to see what's going on. And in that moment or that exchange between he and the Lord, he's called into what is considered one of the greatest ministries of any Jewish leader ever. He is revered as one of the greatest leaders. This shepherd boy, this recalcitrant, this demurring, this backwards shepherd boy, this farm boy who's running away from society and culture, God finds. And here is really what we know in chapter 3 is the calling, chapter 4, the calling of Moses. And what God does in chapter 3 is presents Moses with the divine blueprint for the next few years of his life. We would know it to be another 40 years of the deliverance of God's people from Egypt, where they have been in captivity for 430 years. A watershed moment in the history of God's people. And Moses, the quiet shepherd, would be the deliverer. And God had his man. But it was a little bit of a battle. And we see the story as God speaks to this man through the burning bush with great detail. God puts it this way, I've heard my people cry, chapter 3. And I've come down to intervene, to deliver my people, to take them home to a land flowing with milk and honey, the promised land. In chapter 3, verse 12, this is the assurance, Moses. I want you to be a part of this. I'm calling you. I will. I will be with you. Verse 12, and he said, certainly I will be with thee. And this shall be a token, a sign that when I've sent you, 
You brought the people out of Egypt. You shall serve God right here upon this mountain. And God begins to give this humble, backwards, shy, apprehensive man his job assignment. Even though the king, he will say to Moses of Egypt, will oppose you. Know this, chapter 3, verse 20, I will stretch out my mighty hand and smite Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in the midst thereof. And after that, he will let you go. In fact, you will not only go away from the land with your people, but he will be enriched. I will enrich you with all the treasures of Egypt, and you shall go away, probably in a sense, paid for the three hundred or excuse me, four hundred and thirty years of slavery there. But Moses, he says from the burning bush, the Lord does, I want you to be the point man of this. Wow. What news? Moses, you will be the deliverer of my people. Beginning in chapter 3, verse 11, we know the story. Moses, as you recall, will begin a number of excuses or responses to this commission. Chapter 3, verse 11, you remember. Moses says to God, some commentators said that he had a speech impediment. Can you imagine? Who am I? He stammers. Have you ever said that? The grand call of God upon your life. Who am I? I remember walking forward even in college and God was so impressed upon me that he wanted me to go into the ministry. And I remember that long walk forward as I bowed my knee all the way saying, Lord, I'm sure that you're calling me, but I'm sure you made a mistake. Well, he says that, verse 11, who am I? He stammered, chapter 3, 13. And what do you want me to say? <laughs> and then he says to God, behold, when I come to the children of Israel, what shall I say to them? And if I say the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, what is his name? Then, then he says this, Lord, who, who are you upon what authority? What if they don't believe the story? Chapter 4, verse 1, Moses answered and said, Behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken. I've been there. I still have a recall. They're not God lovers there, at least lovers of the one true God. They, they will not hearken unto my voice. And they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee, especially of all places from a burning bush. Are you crazy? Who are you? Then there was a series of proofs, as you know the text, given to Moses, the rod in his hand, the shepherd's staff, became what? Became a snake as he threw it down, and God asked him to pick it up by the tail, and he does, and uh, pick it up again after throw it down again, and he, the, the snake turned, I mean, the, the, the rod turned from a snake to a, to a rod and back into a snake again, and then, the, then came the leprosy test, the proof, or sign, chapter 4, verse 6. The Lord said, furthermore, put now thine hand into thy bosom. And he put his hand in his bosom. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was as leprous as snow. Nothing was more dreaded in the day than the incurable disease at the time of leprosy. And so he said, put it in. Now take it out. Now put it in. It came out clean and whole. And then God says, I, I want to use these signs and others until in, in Egypt until they let my people go. He prophesied that there was going to be another sign, among others, and other wonders that he would do in Egypt, that he would actually turn the Nile River to blood. 
Now, these signs were all progressive, and they all had great meaning to us. They just seemed like they're signs and tokens. But in that culture, in Egypt, the snake was one of the goddesses that was really in charge, the daughter of Ra, um, the god of, of course, the sun god. This was his daughter, was really the guardian or protect, uh, the protector of Egypt. And so often, even on the crowns of the pharaohs, there would be this stylized symbol of a cobra speaking. And so God's, on purpose, God used the sign of a cobra. On purpose, God used the sign of the Nile River, this very lifeline to them of all security and life and fertility, the Nile River. He says, I'm going to strike that. And leprosy, one of the greatest, and none of the gods of Egypt could cure a leper. Did you know that? And so God uh, really, with no work at all, cured leprosy that came immediately upon Moses' hand. And Moses slowly was warming up to the fact that this God that he served was bigger than any God of Egypt. And so it is, they went through these signs, and then we see God kind of going through them again. The God that is the I Am, the self-existent one, is eliminating all the apprehensions in the mind of this shepherd by demonstrations of power. Uh, Now Moses, the Lord says, take my hand and let's go down to Egypt. And then we get to really kind of a focus, uh, one principle basically tonight, Exodus chapter 4, verse 10. Let's read there. And Moses said unto the Lord, O my Lord, uh, what has been the excuse we have used? I don't know. For, For all of us, it could be different. This always resonates with me, this passage. O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant. But I am slow of speech. I have a speech defect. I can't. The word really in the Hebrew is I'm thick-tongued, slow-tongued. And the Lord said unto him, Who hath made man's mouth? Who makes the dumb, or the deaf, or the seeing, or the blind? Have not I, the Lord, none of my choices, none of my designations, none of my allowances, are not under the sovereign wisdom of my great plan. I've made you exactly the way I wanted to. Now therefore, go, and I will be with thy mouth and teach thee what thou shalt say. And he said, O my Lord, send, I pray thee, by the hand of him whom thou wilt send. A dynamic equivalent of that verse or an alternate rendering would simply be, Lord, would you please send someone else? The anger of the Lord, verse 14, was kindled against Moses. And he said, is not Aaron the Levite thy brother? I know that he can speak well. And also, behold, he cometh forth to meet thee. And when he seeth thee, he will be glad in his heart. Thou shalt speak unto him and put words into his mouth. He will be a proxy for you. And I will be with his mouth and, and, and with thy mouth and with his mouth and will teach you what ye shall do. And he shall be thy spokesman unto the people. And he shall be even, he shall be to thee instead of a mouth. And thou shalt be to him instead of God. In other words, I'm going to work with you. I'm going to give my plan to you and lead through you. But he will be your mouthpiece. And thou shalt take this rod in thy hand 
and wherewith thou shalt do signs. And Moses went, returned to Jethro his father, now assured by the companion of his brother, three years younger than him, Aaron. He went to Jethro and asked permission, said, let me now go, I pray thee, return to my brethren, which are in Egypt, and see whether they be yet alive. And Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. And so we see, of course, the progression as God eliminates the excuses of Moses. He's a learned man. He's got wisdom. And I do believe, even though perhaps he had a little glitch in his speaking or his talking or his little slow of tongue, what uh, Stephen will say of him later in Acts chapter 7, verse 22, I believe it is, that Moses was a learned man in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and mighty in words and deeds. God never calls us. Understand this, God never calls us to perform a responsibility where he doesn't provide us the resource and the gifts necessary to do it. In other words, when he calls us, though we be weak to perform what seems impossible tasks, he always supplies the necessary means and resources. And I do relate to this moment in Moses' life, not that I ever grew up in a palace, But when God called me to preach, I was, again, very resistant to do that. Who am I on this same ground? What authority do I have? My brothers asked that, too. What do you mean? You're going to preach? We know you. And what what, what are you going to do with this mouth? It's not articulate. I struggle. I'm heavy of tongue. Moses Don's false humility, doesn't he? He says, not, not me, Lord, verse 13. Please send someone else. And this is the moment in our text where God gets angry. He's tried to reassure Moses, hasn't he? It's one thing to say to God, the Egyptians will not receive my word and my desires and my professions or my proposals, but to say, God, you have not rightly chosen me is to accuse God of a lack of discernment or wisdom. The one principle tonight I want you to kind of hang on to is the fact that God uses this man by the name of Aaron. Uh, I encourage you to think about this. God does intervene and answers this, really, this excuse in verse 13 or about his mouth. And he says this, I've made the dumb and the blind, the deaf. I've done that. I've allowed that. I have a purpose in it. I've ordered it. Verse 12, now go, and I will teach you what to say. This is the first principle, is that God is sovereign even in our disabilities. I have made men with weaknesses. I've done that. I've allowed that. Number two, God will, will not allow our weaknesses to excuse us from service. Go, therefore. God turns almost as if it were a deaf ear to the excuses and the apprehensions of Moses. Thirdly, God promises to be sufficient for his calling. I will be with thy mouth. Though it is deficient, Moses, I am sufficient. And then that interlude where, God, where Moses says, I can't do it. I just, I know me. I can't go into that palace on those marble floors with those glorious columns. I know that system. I know that that culture. I know it well. I grew up there. I can't do that. I'm not ready for such a calling as that. Pick someone else. So the Lord recommends, and this is where I just think it's a wonderful view of the heart of God. 
Verse 14, the anger of the Lord rises up against Moses. Instead of saying, Moses, I'm through with you, I'm done with you, he says this, I want to introduce into your life a companion, a brother, a friend, someone who will complete the areas in which you are so weak, or at least you perceive yourself to be too weak. The Lord recommends Aaron, his brother again, as I mentioned, three years younger than he, to this doubting deliverer. This is amazing to me. God says, I know Aaron. (laughs) By the way, God knows you too. He puts you together in your mother's womb with everything you need to fulfill the calling of God upon your life. He knew Moses and he knew Aaron. And so God in his mercy and kindness says, I'm going to bring Aaron into your life and ministry. And together, what a team they made. Aaron wasn't perfect. We know that Aaron was the one with the base of the mountain acquiesced to the crowd. Moses is up there 40 days, 40 nights. Who, who knows what's happening to Moses? We need a God. And so they cast all their gold into a fire and somehow a calf popped out. And Aaron was the leader in charge when that happened. But Aaron became really the fountainhead of the priesthood as a Levite. And he became, of course, the chief leader in worship. And not only that, The Bible tells us that Aaron was used when they went to Egypt for the first time or returned to Egypt and approached the Pharaoh. I'm sure we could see the scene as Moses stammered and stuttered and whispered into the ear the things that God was saying to him. And Aaron, with his articulate presence, squared his shoulders and looked the Pharaoh right in the eye and said exactly what God was saying. But what I like is that That God, in his mercy, brings Aaron, verse 14, is not Aaron the Levite thy brother? I know that he can speak well. (laughs) Behold, he cometh to meet thee, and he will be glad in his heart at this proposal. And thou shalt speak to him, put words in his mouth. A little phrase comes from this. And I will be with thy mouth, and with his mouth, and he will teach you. And will teach you, I will teach you what ye shall do. And he shall be thy spokesman to the people. Moses, now then, assured and comforted by the presence of his brother and friend, went to Egypt, verse 18. What is amazing to me, that after, now listen to this, after the burning bush that talked, after the rod that turned into the snake, after the sign of the leprous hand, And the promise of the Nile River turning to blood. After the promise that the Lord would be with him to instruct his mouth, God graciously, mercifully introduces the idea to Moses to bring into the equation a friend and a brother. Go get Aaron. He'll be a spokesman for you. And that provided the principle of completion or companionship. You know something, God didn't make any of us with missing parts, but isn't interesting in the garden, when he instituted marriage, he said uh, about Adam, it is not good that you're alone. And so God made a completer for him. And isn't it wonderful? I think all of us who are married men could say, praise God for that wonderful institution called marriage. Uh, We are Uh, very needy people. He knew that it was not good for us to be alone. 
Robin in my life has been this wonderful ministry to me. She is so strong where I am weak and I have many deficiencies. So she's got a full-time job. Her alertness to detail, her love of children, her pathos and alertness to the needs in the church. She is always feeding me information. Did you know that this, did you know that that is in the hospital? Did you know, are you aware? She is a wonderful completer. And I'm so thankful to have her in my life and our staff as well. You know, sometimes we look at those in authority over us or we even look at our our marriage situation and we see the deficiencies, don't we? And we see it as our job then to criticize the deficiencies. And we spend our whole life nagging or complaining about the shortcomings in those in the circle of our influence Instead of realizing God has given us a ministry of completion, how can I help you in areas where you have a need should be our response in marriage and in a job place, in the workplace. The reason God gives us deficiencies is that we might rely upon him and lean on others. Paul the apostle was always asking for traveling companions, not just for accountability, and not just because he needed somebody to wave a, a palm branch, <laughs> keep, the, you know, keep him cool as he trapped. No, he wanted that to, to, to build the team, to strengthen the team. And there are so many times I've thanked, thanked the Lord for the ministry team God's brought together here. Do you know that where one person is a little, a little weak, the next person can step up and fill in the gaps and be strong? All of us have areas of weaknesses, deficiencies. And God has given us as friends the privilege to step in and bear the infirmities of the weak. Sometimes the right friend makes all the difference. And God knew that Aaron would be just the helper, the asset to Moses that he needed. If you have a person in your life right now, think about it. If you have a person in your life who's helping you in areas that you are weak, thank God for them. Don't... Don't, don't drag them through the dirt. Don't always be picking on them about, understand God puts the composite unity together, the, bar, the church body together in order that we might play off the strengths and be a blessing in the weaknesses in other people's lives. There were no two different ministers in the Bible than Elijah and Elisha. But put those two together and what a team they made. Think about Moses and Aaron Aaron speaking eloquently to the causes of, of, of what God wanted to do to the people. And Moses kind of in the background at times, leading, of course, and, and yet using the strength of his brother. Aaron was one of those that held up Moses' hand, remember, the battle. And so we also think of Paul and Timothy. Often, as I look out here and notice good friends, often seated in the back, Vivian and Georgette, I think what a great team they are. Vivian, of course, blind, and Georgette helping, helping him in so many ways, and yet as a team they make a strong unit, don't they? What a great blessing they are to our church. You see, the weakest, if we see the weakness of others, we ought to see it as an opportunity to minister to them. And when people step up and are a blessing in our lives, we need to see it indeed as an opportunity to thank them for their ministry to us. Let's bow together in prayer. Thank you for joining us today. 
Please tune in each week for new messages from Pastor Lauren Regeer at Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you.